Um, a lot of the times when we get up here and uh, talk, I think it can be misconstrued that we're the professional Christians and that we're here to tell you how to live your life and all the things you're doing wrong and nothing could be further from the truth. If you get time to get to know us, you will find out that we are just as messed up as anybody else in the room. So I'm going to be uh, sharing a couple of things um, from my life and it's things that I don't really have together. So just know that when you're struggling through things, you are in great company because we are all uh, walking through a bunch together. I'm going to read a few verses out of uh, John. John 2, starting in verse 3. And we can be sure that we know him. And there's no uh, pictures, so I don't have to show you pictures. If we obey his commandments, if someone claims that I know God but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar. Well, okay, John. And he is not living in the truth. Those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. So you can prove that you love God by obeying his commandments. That is uh, how we know that we are living in him. Those who say that they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Well, that's a high standard. Dear friends, I am not writing a new commandment to you, so he's very commandment-y, right? Do you feel that? Rather, it's an old commandment that you've heard from the very beginning. What's that commandment? To love each other. So how do we know that we love God? How do we know that we are in the light? How do we know that we're in the truth? As if we're loving each other. It's the same message that you've heard before, yet it's also new. Jesus lived the truth of this commandment, and you are also living it. For the darkness is disappearing, and the true light is already shining. So we're not praying, oh, God, I pray that you would be like this little candle in the darkness. No, the light is already shining. If anyone claims that I am living in the light but hates his Christian brother or sister, that person is living in darkness. Okay. Anyone who loves a brother or sister is living in the light and does not cause others to stumble. But anyone who hates his brother or sister is still living and walking in darkness. Such a person doesn't know which way to go. They have been blinded by that darkness. So anytime that we experience hate or a lack of love, we walk from the light and we start stumbling around in the darkness. Have you ever snagged your like, pinky toe on the couch walking through in the middle of the night? That's what we do. When we have love in our heart towards somebody else, it's like the lights come on. And if we have hate in our heart towards somebody else, those lights go off. Um, I have an issue with my dad sometimes. Um, we have had uh, an interesting relationship over the past few years. And I think a lot of my issues with my dad, I blame on his uh, struggle with alcohol. Because it's an easy thing to blame. Everything that's going wrong with that man is because of this one thing. He's a one-dimensional character, and it's easy for me to turn him into a villain. When I was a kid, I didn't really think it was that big of a deal because he was fun. He was a barrel of fun. You know, we'd go to the fair, and it'd be great, and he'd spend money on me like it was going crazy. But when you start growing up, you start going, hmm. You don't have money to turn the lights on because you spend it on this. And we would have conversations that get stuck in a loop. You ever got stuck in a loop in a relationship? And it's like, you keep breaking the exact same promises to me over and over and over again. When, when you do that enough, eventually you give up on people. Have you ever given up on somebody? I'm just not going to hope for you anymore because it doesn't do any good. Have you ever stopped trying in a relationship? No, of course you've never stopped trying in a relationship. It's easy for me to look down on him because I can give you this laundry list of 
like all the different reasons why I'm right, my dad's wrong, you know, he's, he's X, he's Y, he's Z. And I justify how I treat my dad. Because I didn't choose this relationship, he did. I get to judge him based on the decisions that he made. He got us into this, not me, okay? So I was sitting in a counseling session one time uh, with a guy, a guy's name, Andy Reese. And uh, he just looks up at me and he goes, hey, you need to make sure that the boundaries that you've placed on your dad are redemptive and not punitive. Who do you think you are? Punitive means uh, punishing. <sighs> See, like, when someone breaks a promise to you, you start building up a wall against them. You ever built walls around somebody? Like that crazy family member that's like, I'm not inviting you over because every time I invite you over, my chainsaw goes missing. No, I can't bring you in because every time that you come over for dinner, you start a fight about who's in the White House. I'm not going to bring you over for dinner. And so we start putting boundaries on people, and an actual boundary is something to help somebody else. We build up walls to keep your craziness way over there. And any time that my dad would either break through one of my, my walls or I would be nice enough out of the kindness of my heart and allow him into my fortress, he'd hurt me. Not every time. I don't, he's not the Antichrist or anything like that. Um, but when he would hurt me, that would give me permission to build those walls back thicker. And eventually, I got permission to start putting defenders on those walls with big old guns. So that every time that he would come around, I had permission to take shots at him. And I wouldn't do it intentionally. It's not like I was throwing rocks at him or anything like that. But the weapons that I would use against him are my judgment. You know, that prideful, man, I went to college and you didn't. You should be asking me how to live my life, not telling me how to live mine. You know, he'd give me, like, financial advice sometimes. <laughs> Dad, I'm way better than you than this. Of course, you don't say that stuff, but you think it. And what you think in your heart has a funny way of bubbling out to the surface. So that's the kind of shots that I was taking, um, taking at him. My walls became a stronghold meant to keep him away. And when he came close, those defenders on top of the walls were charged to injure, to harm, to bring shame, to bring guilt. If I made him feel bad enough, he'd change, right? I mean, that's how all addiction recovery happens. You just make them feel guilty enough. Eventually, you got to change. By the way, that doesn't work. <laughs> that's not how you do this. Um, but it sounds right in my head. The stronghold walls that I built were to keep distance instead of building a handrail. If you ever go up to the balcony, we have handrails along the stairs to help you get up to the balcony. We have handrails on the side of the stage to help you get onto the stage. The boundaries that we put on some people are needed. We need to have boundaries with people, but they need to be like handrails to help people get into a better life, not castle walls to keep people at bay. See, when uh, the counselor said that, I had a bit of a harsh reaction. Imagine that. Someone telling me how to live my life with my dad. You don't know my dad. Who do you think you are? Well, he actually had a pretty similar childhood, and he asked me like a stunning question. He was like, when did your dad's dad die, my grandfather? And he's like, oh, I think my grandfather died when he was like 12. And Andy went, oh, well, no wonder he doesn't know how to parent effectively. He's never had it modeled for him. I was like, my grandfather was a jerk. It's better that he wasn't in his life. He was like, well, even worse. 
You're judging this man on not knowing something that he's never had the opportunity to learn. Andy was trying to de-villainize my father, and I wasn't having any of it. Like, no. He's here because of the decisions that he made. And I know that when God looks down at our relationship, his heart breaks. Because he doesn't see my dad as a failure. He doesn't see my dad as a disappointment. He doesn't see my father as the result of negative decisions that he's made. My heavenly father views my earthly father with compassion, with love. He hates it. He hates that our relationship is, ju- is strained. I see my dad as being the bad guy and myself as always being a good guy. I always make good decisions. I never sin in my relationship with my dad. And I know that given half the opportunity, God would respond to my earthly father, come running down the road with a huge ring and a huge robe to throw over his shoulders and throw my dad a party. That's how my heavenly father would respond. When I see my dad coming down the road, I'm like, oh, gosh, not again. Sometimes when my dad calls, you get that, no. You ever do that to your parents? I don't do that to you, Mom. Never. But it is easier sometimes for me to view my dad as broken. Hey, Savannah, could you help me out? Yeah. I do like cool dances. It's easier to see my dad as the breaker than it is to see him as broken. It's easier for us to look across the room and say, my life is the way it is because you're a jerk. It's easy for us to see other people as the breaker instead of the result of them being broken. When I start seeing my dad through compassionate eyes, when I started thinking, oh, no, you lost your dad when you were young. You weren't the result of a wonderful childhood. You're doing the best you can. It hurts my feelings sometimes, but you're doing the best you can. What would I think of somebody else that, When I tried to give my all, when I tried to do the best that I could and fell short, if someone judged me for falling short, that person would be mean. And I'm doing that to my dad. But when I start seeing my father or whoever, you know, kind of insert your enemy of choice into this. If I start seeing my dad through eyes of compassion, I start loving. Have you ever caught the feels? It's like, no, no, I'm not going to cry. If I hit a sunset wrong or if I watch some movie or read The Giving Tree, I catch the feels. Oh, no. It just completely melts down your heart. Now, and that's not saying that anything that my dad's ever done has been amazing or anything like that. I'm not wrong for feeling hurt. I'm not wrong for feeling angry. I'm not wrong for going, man, you messed that up. I'm not wrong for that. But when I start having love bloom in my heart, my addiction to punishment starts dissolving. See, I look down and find a rock in my hand that I feel justified in throwing at my dad. We look down and we see rocks in our hands that we feel justified at throwing at other people on the internet. We have rocks in our hands that we feel justified in throwing at the mayor or the governor or the president or some uh, superstar on TV. We feel justified in the rocks that we throw. But when we start looking at people with eyes of compassion, when I start realizing God, what do you think about this person? All of a sudden, I start, I 
I don't really feel justified in hitting you with a big pointy rock. There was a woman that, that was caught in adultery in the Bible, and the Pharisees were justified in their capital punishment. They were empowered by the law that God gave to pick up big sharp rocks and throw them at sinners until those sinners stopped breathing. It was in the law. They were justified. It wasn't murder. It was righteous killing. But when they saw her through Jesus' eyes, it became really hard for them to carry out their vengeance, for them to carry out their punishment. And all of a sudden, they started dropping their rocks. When we start looking at people, when I start looking at my dad through eyes of compassion, my addiction to punishment starts dissolving. And I know the testimonies are kind of supposed to end like, hey, I got prayer that one day and my addiction just completely evaporated. The grass was greener. The sky was bluer. I never went back to that addiction ever again in my entire life. And unfortunately, life isn't really like that. Me and my dad still have a bit of a strained relationship. I have asked him to forgive me of all the times that I've been a jerk to him. I've forgiven him. And it's still not 100% because relationships take a lot of effort and they take a lot of time. They have to put a lot of work into relationships. And we are obsessed with finding simple solutions to very complex problems. Like anything that you see like retweeted on Twitter, because that's where you retweet things, or anything that you see posted on Facebook that's like, oh, that's an inspirational quote, but it's not really going to change your life. Because anything that's worth uh, changing your life can't fit onto a 99-cent card from Walmart. It's like, well, I got warm fuzzies on that. But the actual working out of forgiveness, the actual working out of love is a whole lot messier than, well, just forgive them. Well, thank you. I'll get right on top of that. It's like, um, have you ever been skiing? I went skiing once, and it was miserable. I went ice skiing, or ice skiing, it's called snow, it was ice when I went, and I went down that uh, mountain. I did like the little bunny slopes, and then I got done with that, went down the side, took my skis off halfway through, and I walked the rest of the way down, spent the rest of the trip in the, in the cabin, and everybody's like, no, you got to go back when it's a whole lot better. Like, Thank you. I went skiing one time with Brandon and Lindsay uh, Gross when we were in high school, and they were showing me how to ski, and so I was ready. I had a boom that came out of the side. It has nothing to do with anything, by the way had a big boom that came out beside the boat, and so, so like, everybody was here. It wasn't on a big rope behind everybody, so I'm in the water, guns it, boat comes to life, you know, there's billions of horses in there, like, doing stuff, and I come up out of the water, thanks to fluid dynamics, and this is amazing, well, my shorts stayed down. <laughs> I didn't know it because I was trying not to die. So I'm like, you know, I'm having a, a bad experience. So anytime that anyone mentions skiing around me, I have like, no, no. I have bad experiences with it. But the thing that people say to you when you're skiing is like, try standing up. Like, oh, thank you. I had no idea. It's so much easier now. Thank you so much for telling me to stand up. And sometimes we do that in the church. Have you ever gotten dumb, cheesy advice from Christians? We'll do better. Thank you. I appreciate that. Well, just forgive them. It's more complicated than it sounds. And we get up here, we try to shove a whole bunch of like, this is years of me crying on my pillow. This is me years being turmoiled about this. And in like 20 minutes, like, oh, yeah, you just forgive your dad and everything's fine. Realize when you are struggling with something, it is okay that it is a process. 
because it is a process to everybody. And if anyone tells you that this whole Christianity thing is just easy, they are trying to sell you something or they are lying to you. So feel free to be weird. Um, so in our lives, we have these opportunities to believe lies about people. I have these opportunities to believe rotten stuff about my dad. And that rotten stuff is empowered by the enemy. Or I can believe the truth and love somebody, and that truth and that love is empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's empowered by the kingdom of God. And so when we say that, man, there is demonic stuff happening, like we have like movies and media that say, well, when demons show up, like people's heads start spinning around and like split pea soup and stuff like that. But that is not demonic stuff. That is not what demonic stuff looks like when it shows up. What does demonic stuff look like? Well, in 2 Corinthians 10, Way to go. Uh, 2 Corinthians 10, uh, starting in verse 3, it says that we're humans, but we don't wage war like the humans do. We don't use Twitter and Facebook to fight our, our battles. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down these strongholds of human reasoning and destroy false arguments. The strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. See, demonic stuff does not look like bats in a graveyard with spooky music at night. That's not what demonic stuff looks like. What demonic stuff looks like is, have you ever had an argument with somebody in your head that never actually happened? Am I the only crazy person that does that? How many of you have ever gotten mad at something that somebody said that they never actually said? How crazy is that? One of my friend's wife, not wives, one of my friend's wife had a dream that he cheated on her, and she was mad at him for like two weeks. He didn't do anything, but she was mad anyways. How many times have you, well, I'm going to say this, and then they're going to say this, and then I'm going to get them with this, and then they're going to say this, and now I'm all worked up and mad over something that never happened. See, like our minds are geared to be entertained by conflict. Anytime you watch TV, anytime you watch a movie, anytime that something is going on in the news, it is all about conflict management. If I can tell you that there's a conflict, our brains shut off and we just pass the popcorn. Oh, this is a fight. Have the cops ever showed up to your neighbor's house? What are they doing? I don't know. Shh. Our brains shut off, and we just want to simply be entertained by the fight. That's why boxing, that's why MMA is entertaining. You want to go watch people beat themselves to pieces? Yeah. It'll be fun. Our brains shut off when we experience conflict. And so what our brains do is we see this masquerade of a fight. Like imagine like two demons in your head having a dramatic fight with each other. It's not real. The two figments of your imagination arguing with each other, our brain shuts down. Meanwhile, through the back door, we get broken into. And demonic forces start redecorating our house with violence, with aggression, with shame, with fear, with guilt, with manipulation. And when the movie's over, when the fight's over on your head, like, huh, that was entertaining. Meanwhile, your entire house is destroyed and you have to deal with the mess of it. But we don't even realize that that stuff's happened. We feel justified in the decisions that we've made against people over things that they've never done, over things that have happened in our heads. That's what demonic stuff happens. When we say that, ah, man, that was demonic, it was empowered by hell to mess with your human reasoning and get you to argue over things based on lies. Have you ever gotten mad at someone in your family for something that no one did? 
like, you stole the remote control. It's right here. Oh, sorry. I love how everybody just assumes, like, you stole it. Maybe you misplaced it. Surely a thief didn't break in and steal the remote control. Well, you did it maliciously. So this happens every time that we let our brains be entertained by arguments with dumb human reasoning, with arguments based on lies in our brains, and then we have to deal with the emotional trauma that happens in our hearts and our judgment towards other people. Could you imagine the amount of arguments that I've had with my dad that never actually happened? Because what happens is that we say that we get bent out of shape over something that somebody did. You'll never believe what they did. Oh, my gosh. I cannot believe what they did. We actually don't really get that bent out of shape about things that people do. Actions are easy to forgive. They're easy to look over. What we get tripped up on is motivation. See, I, don't, I can't see into my dad's head without a skill saw. I mean, or like MRI or anything like that. I can't assume his motivations. So what I do is I look at his actions and allow my imagination to weave a story that might or might not exist of what I have imagined, what I have assumed, and you know what happens when you assume, what I have imagined this to happen. And that's where the demonic stuff takes, takes place. I get mad, not over his actions, because I can forgive that. I get, you meant to do this to me. You did this because you're lazy. You did this because you hate me. You did this because you don't like me. And we have to deal with the motivations. Well, how do you deal with the motivations? Well, if, the, if the, the lie is the thing that's empowering this, because like when I believe a lie, I empower the liar in my life. Sweet. Have to do like Freddie Mercury thing to, to get the TV to switch over. When I believe the lie, I give permission for demonic forces to go crazy in my life. Well, how do I get the kingdom of God to go crazy in my life? Because that's a whole lot better. Just in case you, you need to know that, having God move in your life is a whole lot better than having some weird demon messing with your stuff. Well, if we believe the lie, we empower the liar. If I start believing the truth, God starts moving. So, okay, so what's the truth? Like, how do we get to the truth? Well, I have to perceive things the way that God perceives them. God has a, like, bird's eye view. He knows exactly what's going on, and his expert opinion is that of love. So I have to assume that he can see things that I can't see. From my vantage point, it looks like you're uh, meanie. But from God's vantage point, he's like, you're not seeing the whole picture. Trust me, they are worthy of love. Does God go, and I approve of everything that they do? No, he doesn't do that. The actions that we do to each other, the, the, the feelings that we have towards each other, they're still rotten, they're still junky. But who we are as people are worthy of love. God looked at you and said, you are worth the sacrifice of my son. And if he can see that value in you, I have got to be able to see that value in you. Well, how do we discover that? Start asking yourself some questions. Like when you're sitting at, at lunch today, or when you're hanging out at the house, like we've got some nice weather coming up, Hopefully, when you're sitting outside enjoying the sun, ask yourself, do I feel like I am imprisoned in a stronghold? Because eventually that's what they become. They become walls to keep people out. Well, eventually you turn around and you're in a prison cell that you can't get free from. Do you feel like you're in a prison? Do you feel when certain people come around, you have to start putting up a whole bunch of defenses? 
when you look down at your hand, do you ever feel that you can see a rock that you feel justified in throwing at somebody? Well, if you can answer yes to that, you've probably got some stinking thinking going on. Well, start asking other people. Get outside opinion because it's very hard to see ourselves accurately. It's very hard to see situations accurately. So we get friends, we get brothers, we get sisters, not to gossip, not to gang up on other people like, hey, I've got some dirt. Let's help throw rocks together. But say, hey, what is what do you think God's perspective of this person is? What do you think God's perspective or perspective of this situation is? What does love think about my father? Well, when I ask what love thinks about my father, it's not that he, I want to throw rocks at him. I've got compassion. I've got mercy. So when we get outside help, our friends can be d- as dumb as we are. At the end of the day, the lens that we have to pass all of this through is the lens of love. We have to go to Scripture to figure out what God says about a situation and what God's opinion is about every human being that's ever lived, ever will live, is that they are worthy of unconditional love. They are worthy of joy. They are worthy of mercy. They are worthy of compassion. And so we get to do that. And that is the hardest thing that we decide. That is the division on whether or not that we are actually believers or we're just playing around with our Christianity. Do we actually believe what he says about somebody? Do I believe that God is who he says he is and that his people are who he says that they are? Like when I look at my earthly father, do I trust God enough to go, I'm not seeing it, but I trust your opinion? I had uh, somebody, uh, my brother just bought an uh, Andy Warhol uh, photograph, like a Polaroid, and paid an unbelievable amount of money for it. He has an Andy Warhol, an original Andy Warhol. If I saw that like in a folder somewhere, I wouldn't give you 50 cents for it. But because the value is not decided by me, the value is decided by somebody else, he can buy that Polaroid and then turn around and sell it and make a ton of money off of it. Not because of the value that I place on it, but because of the value of experts. Now, God is an expert, says that he is a pearl merchant. He knows his stuff. And when he found you, he found a pearl of greatest price. And he said, man, this is a good deal. I don't see the value in it, but God does. And so what we do is we operate in love. The people in your life that you might be frustrated with, the people that um, are trying your patience, the people that cut you off in the parking lot, the person that's just driving five miles an hour under the speed limit, mm, let's look at them through the eyes of love. Let's drop our rocks. When we get on Facebook, it's so easy to... Does anyone else have that, that reaction of like, they're wrong, and how are they going to know that they're wrong unless I'm the one that tells them? No one cares. No one cares. Can we view that person through the eyes of love, drop our rocks, start pushing down our walls? Because when we do that, the Holy Spirit starts moving underneath. Have you ever had foundation issues? And if you let foundation issues ruin your house, the entire structure can come down. Well, that's a good thing because the strongholds of human reasoning that these demons have built in our brains, the Holy Spirit just comes seething up from the ground, and all of a sudden they don't have a leg to stand on. And we're free. And we have fresh air in between everybody, and everybody is loving until someone says something that makes you mad, and you have to start the process all over again. But that's what life is, right? You don't just eat lunch today, and you're like, man, I'm set for the rest of my life. 
Obviously, we don't. We eat every day, and you have to forgive every day. We get up and go to work every day, and you have to get up and forgive and have mercy and love and compassion every day. It's a cycle, and we do this until we get to heaven. Right? All right, go ahead and stand up. We'll get you out to, uh, to lunch.